The Paradell twins of Yarendil the Mariner, Elrond and Elbros, made landfall upon the shores of Nisimaldar in the western star arm of Andustar, docking their spawn ship Elwyn. The songs of seabirds serenaded their senses as they raised their tall noses towards the sky. Sailing from between the southern arms of Hyarnostar and Hyarostar, they had arrived in the western haven of Eldalonde, clad in robes of the most vibrant pigments of the white light of the Silmaril in the sky, the dandelion light of the sun, and the azure light of the Bay of Eldana. Following the star of their father, they sat upon the harbor to witness the setting of the sun in the land of the Evergreen, where the prancing deer knew no concept of death, the fairest, finest, and most fortunate of elven homes, living in the resting place of the sun, in the lap of the Valar who nurtured it from fruit in time before their doom. From that land of Valinor also arrived a decree for the boon that they had, never being able to sail to the immortal shores, for mortal life should not mar the blessed realms of the undying. Arvenian, their home was called, and Yerendil had fashioned it after the glories of Gondolin, leaving them to wander in the waterways and landscapes of Middle-earth with their captor, Maglor the Dark Elf, while Yerendil sailed in a boat built from the timber of Nimbrathil. Their lives were not as gentle as the silver sails of his ship, yet they were far more resilient than its lanterns, taking after their mother, a descendant of the revered Baron and Luthien. Their resilience helped them survive under the remorseful watch of Maglor, keeping their heads aright like the banners laid upon the swan ship, worrying for their mother and father as they braved the perilous waves of the sundering seas. Long after, Elros became Tarminyatur, the first king of Numenor, and he invited his brother often to look up from the halls of Armenelos, to the statue the Numenorians raised of their mother and father. In unmistakable resemblance, it pointed towards the part in the sky where Eärendil's star was closest to the island of fair Numenor. They imagined themselves as vibrant as their familiar visages, awash with the light of the Silmaril, more beautiful than the dawn of innocence, appearing as beyond the imagining of elves, dwarves, and men. The essence of the Valar themselves was stored in their spotless skin, and its radiance was readily recalled by the twins every time they made a pilgrimage to the statue of their beloved bearers. From boyhood to the Age of Wisdom, on starry nights woven from clear skies, they mused about the Night of Nought that had once engulfed Erendil, the mythic mariner. The winds of wrath they remembered, too, where in darkness their mother had flown as a flame brighter than the light of diamonds. There they often looked upon the Silmaril, once borne by her Karkanet, crown itself upon the burning brow of Erendil. The Flamifer of Westerness had led him through the Evernight on black and roaring waves to the twilight shores of Valinor, 
Forgoing all punishment, the Valar had heeded his plea instead, to save all of Middle-earth from the hateful helm of Morgoth, who wished to end all life. Known in times before as Melkor, the disgraced Vala had once composed a discordant cry in defiance of Eru Iluvatar, beyond the existence of Ardar, far in the lands of pure light, shapeless and formless, where still many Ainur dance in delight free from his stranglehold, and for ages since Morgoth had turned the creation towards darkness. The twins were just two when they last saw their father before their eyes, upon the shores of Middle-earth where once a great shadow was laid by the dark designs of Morgoth Boglir. For the half-elven twins, the journey of their father was vital and valorous, and a source of great pride. The Valar had unknowingly shaped the very creation of Arda, upon which rests Middle-earth, through their music in the divine symphony of the One. They had arrived from the realm of light and sound to their creation, sent by Eru to watch over Arda until the end of the last age. Yet the Valar's last appearance upon Middle-earth was almost as ancient as the awakening of the Eruhin. Elrond and Elros often recalled what little they knew of their father's journey. He had left them to rescue all Middle-earth that was behind their havens, sailing upon a sailing seas to bow before the Valar in fair Tyrion to beg for an intervention. The twins had heard echoes of their judgment stir the glass in their window panes, as winds of power marching to war against the might of Morgoth, and they remembered as fondly the whispers that followed long after to grant them their choice of doom. While Elros chose mortality, he had lived a long life still, longer than most men could dream of, and it was untouched by illness and decay, both in his body and mind, and in a week he would reach the resounding age of five hundred. Who won't remember the deeds of Baron and Luthien, Nimloth and Dior, Tuor and Idril, Elwing and Irandil? I have built Numenor with the blessing of the One, and in this rests my legacy. The Paradel King spoke with naked nostalgia. I believe I am ready now to set upon the adventure of the afterlife, and sail into the unknown for one last time. I hope you keep my memory alive in your scrolls, dear brother. I can still sense your youth, Elros, though I have matured without a wrinkle yet to grace my face. Elrond Half-Elven smiled as vibrantly as he had upon the crowning of his brother at the age of eighty, in the infancy of Numenor. Ever since then they had travelled across all the arms of the Land of the Star, delighting in the awe-inspiring landscapes and monuments of those who inhabited the vistas fashioned by the Valar themselves. Eagle-eyed emissaries of Manwe, Sulimo, they had shared glances with, and admired the jewel craft of those who lived in Tolerese, far to the west beyond the Sundering Seas, and they still visited the Malorn trees in Eldolonde with remarkable routine. I shall miss these trees the most in my journey through the emptiness, Elros touched the trunks with a tear held back by his enamored eyelashes. Will you visit them after I am gone? I do not know. Elrond replied with as much care as he could muster. I cannot promise to continue our ritual, for my heart cannot bear the memory of your loss, the last of my kin to greet me upon Middle-earth. I gather you are disappointed I chose this gift, then? Elros leaned against his scepter, smiling weakly. I did not intend to abandon you forever, Lonling, but I could never fathom living with the recollections of our horrors for eternity. 
The quaking fall of Ancalagon still disturbs the rhythms of my heart as if there are rumblings in Forostar. The pain of losing our family remains as fresh as the fruits of Amman. This age has failed to bring about its rot. As long as I have this awareness of an end, I cannot feel the desire to live longer. And as I know I cannot live longer, I choose to give up this immortality. However, I do not begrudge your doom of it. You are far more courageous than I, Elrond Peridot, and I foresee great wisdom in you. I am grateful that you chose the boon, brother mine. Elrond sipped the golden wine with glimmering eyes, bringing reassurance to the reign of Tarminyatur. I do not begrudge you for what you deemed was best for yourself. You have been blessed to experience this period of peace, and take with you fond memories untainted by darkness. We enjoy this time of tranquility as a reward because our family vanquished the forces of Morgoth and banished the Balrogs of Boglir to the bowels of the earth. The evil that had risen beyond the peaks of Utomno and Angband now scatters in the sand, and your kingdom has become a shining example for all mortals who had chosen the shackles of Sauron Gorthaur. I take pride in the work you have accomplished in this short span, and I envy you at times, for I do not yet know what greatness awaits me, or if it even will manifest. There is something more that you keep from me, Elros gleaned. A veil my half-elven eyes cannot surpass. Even mine could not see too far or too clearly, Elrond shrunk slightly. My heart grows dark, and I do not know why. Perhaps it is the grief I have welled up from times now escaping my memory, and I do not think they will return even in time of my need. I fear the fading of this hard-won respite. The mortals and immortals of Middle-earth are separated from each other still, and there is hesitance evident in the tribes of men. They do not yet trust that evil is past. And far in the runic lands, close to Koivinen, there have been murmurings about a wretched resurgence. Are these pustules of suspicion, or perilous portents? I cannot yet decide. Elros remained silent for a while, dazed and staring into the distance, far away from the clouds that Elrond had conjured with his tongue. Forgive me. I must not mar your memory with these malignant musings. Elrond gathered his brother's wrinkled hand in his gloved grip. Elros touched his temple with his ring finger, signaling that he was once again slipping into a daydream of life after death. It had been a regular occurrence of late. It took him far beyond the stars, to the lap of Iluvatar, in whimsical worship. Elrond knew his brother had grown impatient, the closer they reached their birthday. At five hundred he was ready to go, presenting Elrond with a haunting absence in the future of his undying ever-present. For Elrond this celebration was a painful reminder of the years he wished to appear uncounted. He was already deep in the depressions of days that passed without any movement or change, as his brother grew weaker in his bones by the night. Soon Elros would only be able to raise his finger slightly above his silver sheets, ready to return to Eru and leave his Froa and let go of its life force. Elrond did not know how to celebrate the day when both Elros and Tarminyator would turn into a passage in history, two sides of a royal coin that he hoped would flip in favor of the faithful. Elsewhere there was chatter of a connection between the Valar and the Doom of Men, but such strange tidings had not yet reached the shores of Numenor. Elros and Elrond had decided to address the acolytes of the Elendili, by whom they were to be welcomed at sunrise in Andunye. Have you revised the speech? Elros leaned against the Herald of Linden. 
Let no one forget that I am giving away my life out of free will. Yes, not even the Valar question your decisions. The courtier of Gilgalad, the High King of Elvendom on Middle-earth, led his shivering sibling gently towards their carriage, reined by the horses tied to the mind of the king. Fair, that is, as fair as my purposes have been for the future of this fair island. The king called the majestic horses from a command in his thought, leaving his kin as amazed as the first time he saw him pull this trick. It was far before they were destined for duty towards the court, but it seemed as familiar as a routine that turns into instinct. The goodness of your heart will continue to inspire the sons and daughters of Numenor for as long as they breathe. This I do foresee. Elrond wrote a few words in the air with his bejeweled finger, committing the commands of the High King to his vault. I have reserved a couple of verses for the host of the Eldar. You might like them. Yes, yes indeed. Elros Tarminator stood straighter again, advancing with more vigor. I still remember the time when Círdan led my people from Mithlon to our home. Watching the Valar themselves work their wisdom to raise this land from the sea is a sight I hope to carry with me in whichever place I am destined to reach. And that you will, for even the elves do not forget thoughts that have passed from the clutches of flesh, Elrond said. I will ensure the mana from Tolerese reaches the bellies of Numenorians until the end of their days, Elros bellowed suddenly, raising his arms in a fit. From Andustar to Orostar, and in Metalmor on Erukierme, till the last lights of Eruhantale and Erulaitale will my people bear fruit of our father's feats. He raced through the maps of his mind, rumbling all the music he had silenced. The flowers of Tanekelase and the Yavana Mire will bloom alongside Vardiana to decorate the path of the pilgrims as they ascend the mighty Menotarma in the worship of the One, and my essence will linger on in stone as a reminder of what we are to become. They will remember, they do remember, and it is their remembrance that drives their carts and fills their coffers and guides their guilds, Elrond assured him. They have not parted from any hints that would reveal to me an absence of their goodness. These men are as much of Middle-earth as they are of Valinor, and they know their doom is to share the gift of life and death in harmony. How will I know they are safe after I am no longer here? Elros forced his sunken eyes to urge his brother for reassurance. I dream of their destiny beside mine when we cross the Great Barrier. And I dream that I am there to witness the day the Valar welcome us all before their gaze, and the gardens of the gods to share with us their labor. May all your dreams come true, brother, for the sake of Numenor and Middle-earth. The immortal half-elfin unfurled his arms for an embrace. And may you get to sail far beyond even I was ever allowed to, and walk up the same stairs that led our father to the momentous majesty of the Valar. His mortal twin fondly allowed himself to be comforted. As their carriage arrived, the paradel turned to the sailing star crested above Middle-earth and whispered, Namarie, bidding their father a good night. Elrond would soon leave following his brother's inevitable departure, returning to Linden to resume his heraldry to the High King. The reign of Tarminiatur had at last ended. The responsibility of the fair island now passed into other hands, and the elven title of Tar with it. In the coming centuries, many would bear that title, descendants of the revered and remembered Elros Paradel. 
and the elven customs of Numenor prevailed far into the reign of Tarmenodur, and further still. In this time, the seafaring days of Numenor were fast approaching, pioneered by the likes of Tarmenodur's son, Aldarion, and his father by marriage, Veantur. Mastering the seas, the Adain grew closer to the lands of Elvendom in the western parts of Eriador to the east, Aldarion most of all. Now, more than four centuries having passed since the death of Elros, Aldarion was at the helm of his ship once more, the first of many ships and many ports that became part of his legacy. His ship passed freely along the coast of Harlinden, making starboard in time coming into the Gulf of Lune, a bow of Oilare on the prow leading them. Here the waters were calmer, no longer wrestling back and forth with Hurelonde, and the shipmen now raised the sail to half-mast. From here they followed the coasts of the western shore with the sun setting behind them, Aldarion at the helm of the ship. They moved swiftly, making haste further east into the gulf, and sailing past the south haven, port of the elves, Harlong. They came deeper still into it, and at last Aldarion ordered the sails be raised once more, and the ship came now to a drift as they approached the port city in Mithlond. Here ships like great swans came to and fro, most following the coast of Harlinden, to the south along the western shores of Eriador. Though Aldarion's ship here made anchor adjacent to a great dock outstretched from the coast, the sun had now fallen below the horizon, darkness settling over the city, and the air grew cold. Waiting upon the docks was an elven man whose keen eyes gazed upwards towards Aldarion. His hair was long and grey, and his face was aged and old. Kirdan Noe. Aldarion walked to the edge of his ship and bowed. Aldarion. The mariner, responded Círdan, shipwright of Mithlond. The sailors under Aldarion lowered the rope ladder from the ship's hull and dismounted, coming upon the dock in their illustrious liveries. I regret arriving at a late hour such as this. Aldarion stepped off of the ladder. I had planned to make landfall by yester-eve, but the wind was out of my favor. Círdan smiled. Your coming forth has not brought trouble for I was aware of your woes. Nonetheless, put it behind you, for the High King is expecting you. He knew of my coming? questioned Aldarion, as he accepted a bowl of fresh pulp from an elven companion assigned to him for his needs. Círdan nodded. Indeed, he awaits you in the Mara Ran. Follow the King's Herald to show you the way. Aldarion now saw upon a stone pathway that led around the harbor an elven man who appeared almost ageless, yet his gray eyes were sorrowful and dim, and his hair dark as the shadows of the night. Elrond, Aldarion grinned in greeting. Are you not the one that the histories of Numenor speak of, brother to Elros Tarminiator, and son of the great Mariner whom I've ever admired? I am humbled by your presence. Elrond half-elven cast his kind smile on Aldarion with eyes that now seemed glad. Do not humble yourself. For I have too heard of you, 
Aldarion the Mariner of Numenor. With the final word, Aldarion left Círdan and followed Elrond, ascending a stone stairway which almost glowed in the light of the rising moon. Son of the great Tarmenadur, are you not? asked Elrond. I knew of your father when he was far younger, a man of great ambition and servitude. He was called Iromon then. I do not think as kindly of my father as you, admitted Aldarion. He has grown blind in his admiration of the past and of the stars that hold those memories. He carelessly does not see the wisdom in seeking friendship outside of Numenor, like I have. For a man who is regarded as wise, he is remarkably deluded. I see wisdom in both efforts, acknowledged Elrond. And so must you, if you are to be responsible for the throne one day. They now had come to the top of the stairway, and to a great pavilion. Surrounding them were steeply rising hills and cliffs, and a plethora of structures upon them carved from the same stone as was the pathway touched by their boots. A familiar sight, yet a spectacle nonetheless. The hills too were spotted with trees, tall and gallant, reminding Aldarion for a moment of his homeland, and his wife. And for that moment he wondered about her wanderings in the ancient glen, and which lullaby she sang to their daughter. But the crashing of the waves in the distance muffled his musings, and just as soon as the thought had come to him, it faded like foam on the shores of the westerness. Which conjecture do you think more wise? asked Aldarion. I do not know, answered Elrond truthfully. Alas, I am only half-elven. Who am I to say what may come of your island from either effort? You may think me wise, but not even Elrond Paradel can see all ends. They had come at last to the decorated doors of the Mararan, the dwelling of the throne, and of the High King who graced it. This is where I leave you, announced Elrond. Take care to listen to the High King. On the matters of which he will speak, know that he has dwelled as long in thought as the great tree of Linden has remained in bloom. Aldarion nodded and bowed once more. Antanye Lien. The inward-swinging doors unlatched as Aldarion entered, welcoming him into a vast hall vibrant with a golden light which was said to resemble the very light of Valinor, as it was in times as old as the trees. The floor was a cold stone, and the walls were marble with blue banners draped over them, and at the far end of the hall the elven king with cascading silver hair commanded a throne as regal as his sheen. Gilgalad of the Trees smiled Aldarion, bowing low. I was informed you were awaiting me. Come, Aldarion, spoke the High King of the Noldor. My tidings are no longer patient. The High King motioned his hand towards a long wooden table to the side of the hall. He placed himself at one of the brightest of the four stone chairs surrounding it, embroidered with gold and sapphire, sharing his counsel with the Numenorian guests seated opposite him on a chair of bejeweled silver. While High King was no stranger to Aldarion, he now seemed unfamiliar and almost cold, as if a darkness had settled over him. "'What troubles you?' questioned Aldarion intently. "'You have done good, Aldarion, in what you have done for your people. Your envy to assuage the isolation of Numenor's past may prove to be our salvation.' "'To the end you may be thankful to my grandfather as well,' answered Aldarion. Yet in our endeavours I have grown in doubt. In establishing the connection of our peoples, have I neglected those whom I hold dear? What could I have gained that is worth what I may now have lost? Such is the burden that we must bear, said the High King. 
for soon you shall bear the crown of your people, and with it the burden to ensure that this bridge between us remains unbroken for the betterment of our futures. You speak of a future in which our friendship will sway what may become it. I ask again what troubles you, Erenion Gilgalad. I cannot entail you with such burdens yet, decreed the High King. Not well your father wears the crown. You will know them one day, when your father sees that your wisdom of Middle-earth outweighs his knowledge of Numenor, Beleriand, and their storied people now lost to the past. Until that day comes, however, I ask that you be at your father's side, as I am on yours, and counsel him just as faithfully in his time of need. You now speak of counseling, groused Aldarion, his temper flaring, as if there is some foresight you bear that the Edain cannot see. You say I cannot yet know, but without it I remain unwise in matters that my father would require counsel. The absence of knowledge will not diminish your conscience. You know what is right, Aldarion, mariner of Numenor, in your heart of hearts. Have faith in that at the least. I do not know what is right, stammered Aldarion in anguish. My heart has been swayed to and fro so long that I have grown blind to its aspirations. Does my heart tell me to remain inland, isolated, yet with my wife? Does it yearn for my kingship as Tar Aldarion, and the desire to lead the people of Numenor? Or perhaps I am meant to be ever at the helm of my ship, finding new lands and new people? I know not. A heart may have many strings which can be swayed in many ways, and such is true for even the wisest, comforted the High King. After the fall of Gondolin and the War of Wrath, I was left without land or kin. There I could have abandoned Middle-earth, returned to fair Tyrion, to remain for eternity amidst the Valar, and yet I willed to remain here. To this day I still wonder whether I chose what was right, and if my decision to stay here was not in vain. However, Aldarion, you and your grandfather's coming to Mithlond, your friendship with my people, it has all but assured me that my staying here will have been worth it in the end. Let that notion be your guiding light, and yourself follow it, for all Middle-earth might depend on the tomorrow you chart. What am I to tell my father, then? questioned Aldarion. You say I am to be kept blinded to what you fear, yet you believe my father should be made aware. How, then? The High King answered, revealing a sealed envelope. This is to be opened by the king's hand alone. Held within is the knowledge that can save this Middle-earth, or ensure its ruin may it fall in hands other than that of the Edain. In Numenor, your trust should not be in doubt. Aldarion placed the envelope in his breast pocket, and with a final word turned to the harbor once again, now prepared to journey further into lands of Eriador. Thank you.